this is Bob Wells here, and welcome to Undercurrent Stories. This is the show where we hear about people's interests and uncover some fascinating stories at the same time. I hope you enjoy today's show. In today's show, I'm delighted to be joined by Quint Starkey. Quint is an English musician, originally from Accrington, Lancashire. After living and performing in Los Angeles in the 1980s, he now resides in Stockholm, Sweden. After years of writing songs for other artists, in November 2016, he released his first solo album, Ghost in My Heart, which has been very well received around the world. Great album, I can tell you that. Overseen by executive producer Francis Dunnery from It Bites, the 14 songs on the album catch a life growing up in a northern town in the 1970s and 1980s. Hello and welcome to the show, Quint. Hi, Bob. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's great to have you on. Thanks so much for coming on. How, how was 2020 for you? Obviously, it's been very difficult for all of us, but, you know, as a musician, how, how was it for you? Yeah, it's, 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 it's been good and bad, obviously. But uh, the, the, if I start with the bad parts, uh, obviously, we, uh, we had two tours with It Bites lined up. We should have played in July, and then we should have done a tour in December uh, or January this year. They were going to move it because Genesis were out in December. Uh, yeah. So I lost those gigs, which was, you know, gutting. But... Uh, on the plus side, my own gigs with my band here in, in Sweden, we I only lost two gigs out of about 50, which has been amazing, to be honest. Oh, right. But, and I think that's because Sweden has a bit of a different approach than uh, the UK when it comes to... Oh, so, so you, you were playing throughout last year in Sweden? Yeah, yeah, sure. Oh, okay. Yeah, so what I'm now, I have a regular gig in, in the middle of the city and uh, it's an outdoor gig, which helped. Uh, but yeah. they, had a, they had a limit of 50 people and they had to book in advance. So we knew everything was sold out before we even showed up, which was great. Yeah, and uh, but you know it's um, it's it's been tough for every musician. Yeah. I think I yeah. think I read yesterday that the music business has gone back seventy five percent. Has it really twenty twenty? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's going to come back with a big bang. I was talking to somebody the other day, and we were sort of saying that when all this is over, hopefully, um, it's going to be like the Roaring Twenties all over again. I reckon. <laughs> I hope so. That One big great. party. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, so before we talk about your musical career. Um, would you better tell us a little bit about your journey and how you came into the music industry, please? I have the the, the lamest story for, for being inspired to take up a musical instrument. You know, most people say, oh, I, I saw Jimi Hendrix, or I saw the Beatles, blah, blah, blah. I was watching Junior Showtime as a kid and they had three, like, 12-year-olds sat on three chairs strumming classical guitars, just simple stuff. And I just looked at that and I turned to my mum and said, Mum, I want to play guitar. And she told my dad, and he and he, he was really smart. My dad, he came home and said, "Listen, I'll buy you a guitar as long as you take proper lessons." Yeah. And I said, "Sure." So he bought me a classical guitar for like five quid, and we found a teacher in Accrington called uh, Burton Granger, who was actually a classical pianist, uh, but he he studied classical guitar. And uh, yeah. I started with another guy, and I think the other guy lasted maybe six weeks, and then it was just me. And uh, yeah. And I studied with him till I was 15. And then he said, I can't teach anymore. I'm, uh, this is as far as I've got, so you need to find another teacher. This was all classical guitar? Buddy. Classical guitar. So I, I learned to read music from day one. I mean, that was the great thing about it. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing was that when I got to 15 and he said, find another teacher, I said, well, can you not teach me piano now? Which would have been perfect. You know, it would have opened <laughs> yeah. up so many more doors for me along the way. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. He said, no, stick to guitar. You have a, you have a, a feeling for it. So, yeah. uh, so I, I, I did that. And then, of course... I didn't find another teacher. I, I started, I bought an electric guitar, yeah, uh, Les Paul, because I was into Thin Lizzy by that time. And, yeah. uh, but I must say that my favourite album from like 12 to 15 was John Williams and Julian Bream, an album called Together Alone, the yeah. duets album. And I used to play that nonstop on vinyl. It was, it was so beautiful. Yeah. And how did you find the transition from sort of reading music and playing the classical guitar to picking up a Les Paul and doing some Thin Lizzy stuff? How, how, how did you find that? Did you, I mean, presumably then you just played it all by ear. Yeah, I was trying to slow down records and pick it out. And, uh, you know, we had a, I think when we were, how old would we be? We weren't that old. We were maybe 14. I think me and two friends, Graham Walton and a, a guy called Mark Sheeran, who I went to school with, I've known him since I was four. This is a pretty funny story, actually. He, he now lives in New York and has a, a, a huge branding company. And yeah. I was visiting him. And when we were 12 or 13, we were pretending to play Eagles songs, you know, yeah. like two acoustic guitars. And my friend Mark, who has the branding company, he played tambourine. And I'll never forget him stopping his mid-song and saying, hey, just because I play tambourine doesn't mean we're not going to share the money equally when we become friends. <laughs> and the irony is that 
about five years ago, he actually sat down with Don Henley and uh, Irving Azov, the Eagles manager, and booked them for one of his events. So I was over there and I said to him, what are you working on now? He said, I'm working on this conference for Walmart. It's like 16,000 people. And I said, do you need any, do you need a band? I thought, I'll put a band together. Yeah. He said, no, I've got some. I said, who have you got? He said, I've got the Eagles and Journey and Jennifer Lopez. I said, is that some kind wow. of tribute act? No, no, it's the real guys. <laughs> so no, we used to we used to do what everyone else did. Just, you know, somebody played bass, somebody played guitar. Uh, yeah, yeah. And pick it out from records. Now, of course, you get the app for your phone that's the amazing slow downer, which slows it down and you can keep the same key. Which uh, I know when I was learning the guitar, we, we had a, you'd put an album on at 33 and you were able to slow it down to 16. Oh, wow. And obviously you play a tone lower. Yeah. Um, but it was a good way of sort of slowing it down and um, doing it, you know, on, on, before you had digital and you could slow it down. Exactly. I think there's something to be said for the using that technique as opposed to YouTube and stuff. I mean, okay, it goes faster with YouTube, but you find out a lot more when you're doing it for yourself, I think, when you're trying to... I, I to- totally agree. Uh, and if you're listening to a guitarist and you hear a certain phrase, you can actually hear how, how it's played, can't you? Exactly. You know, you almost hear the, fret, the the fingers on the fretboard yeah, where they are. Yeah. Well, visualizing is a big part of it. I mean, when I yeah. when I studied later at, at, in in California, they would they would ask us to sing license plates when you were walking down the street. Just look at the last three digits and sing the intervals and sing it. Yeah, oh, right. You know, if, if it's like yeah. one one four two or whatever, you yeah. you do the old. Uh, da, da. You obviously went to America. You left school and, and then went straight there. Did you do anything? No, I I, uh, I wasn't any good at school. I was going to be a professional footballer. I mean, I, I got my heart set on that. I was signed to Burnley at 15, so I kind of yeah. gave up studying and uh, I left with like six O-levels or something. And yeah. uh, I'd been working for an engineering company and had a summer job. And they offered me a, an apprenticeship uh, at 16. And I did that and studied in Openshaw at the Technical College one day a week as a compliment, like City and Guilds. Uh, so I was doing that, and then I was playing in bands at the same time. Uh, I got in a, a local band in Accrington that did the working men's club circuit, which was great training. You know, I was like 17, I think, 18. Um, so I did all that kind of stuff, and then I got a gig with a, a woman in Manchester called Paula Randell who did more like cabaret stuff. That was a great gig, actually. I was My job was drive to Manchester, load the car with the like an EV200 type PA system, uh, we had backing tracks. She had, she'd got session musicians from Manchester to record these backing tracks. And, and of course, nobody would put the name to it because it was like taboo at the time. So I ran a cassette deck with the backing tracks. I sang, I played guitar and she had pyrotechnics, which I triggered on certain songs. I had to set up all that stuff and <laughs> then uh, pack it all up, drive back to Manchester. Yeah. And all. But it was a great gig because we did a lot of like high profile cabaret style things with people like uh, Roy Walker and you know, playing at the opera house in Blackpool. Yeah. So that was, that was good learning. But then I, I, I well, as soon as I graduated from, uh, from Hollywood, uh, from uh, Openshaw, I decided to, uh, I said to the guys, you know, I'm going to give music a try. So yeah. uh, here's my toolbox, look after it. I'll probably be back in six weeks. And uh, here we are 40 years later or 35 years later. And uh, I don't think my, my toolbox exists anymore. But uh. So you decided to leave Northern England and actually go to Hollywood um, to pursue your love of the guitar? Well, I got to Hollywood through uh, the first pro gig I had was, uh, it was a, a local music store in Accrington. And I went in one day yeah. and I said, hey, do you want to, do you fancy joining a band and going to Norway and Germany on tour? I said, yeah, sure. And they said, they're auditioning tomorrow in Bolton. So I went for the audition and uh, got the gig, obviously, because I could read. So uh, we left the day after. And we had like uh, six months in Europe playing seven nights a week. Um, everything from jazz standards to the pop of the day. Uh, and I just had this huge binder full of music and the band leader would just say, number 25. And then he'd like, you know, a one, two. And I'd be scrambling to find <laughs> find number 25. And But it was great. That was a, a great yeah. learning experience. So that was like your apprenticeship in bands. It, it? It, yeah, it, really music. And, uh, yeah. and while I was doing that, of course, I had a lot of downtime during the day. So I'd be practicing and uh, I used to read Guitar Player magazine. And uh, there was an ad in there for GIT. And uh, GIT? Which is Music Institute. It was called oh, the yeah, Guitar yeah. Institute of Technology. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, it was started by a guy called Pat Hicks and Ro- Howard Roberts. And uh, basically yeah. when it started, it was just GIT. It was the Guitar Institute. And then they expanded with uh, drums and bass and 
And now you can go there and learn how to make guitars or study management or... Yeah. Uh, but a funny thing, when we were on tour in Norway, there was a guy in the audience one night and he, he sent over a bottle of champagne. So we went over to thank him and uh, he said, hey guys, he said, I'm, uh, I'm over from the States. So I've got a yacht in the base. Do you, do you want to join us uh, tomorrow and, you know, do more drinking champagne and having fun? So we did. It was <laughs> middle of summer. And, uh, and he sat us down at one point and said, okay, I want to know everybody's dreams, you know. And uh, everybody, I was the last guy because I was the youngest. And when he got to me, he said, so what are your dreams? I said, oh, I'd like to go to this school in Hollywood, you know, but I can't afford yeah. it. It's too much. I said, he said, how much is it? I said, well, it's like $12,000 for the year with accommodation, you know. And he said, do you really want to do it? I said, yeah. He said, give me your bank account number and I'll put the money in there. And if you ever get in a position to pay me back, do it. Yeah. And I didn't. <laughs> I just thought there's got to be a catch. <laughs> you know, that's the northerner in there. It's like... Yeah, ah, this is too good to be true. So I never did it. But because I'd been working, I had this, uh, I bought a terrace house in Accrington for 1,700 yeah. quid. Uh, and I got a, a grant from the government to, to do it up. And my dad was a builder, so that helped tremendously. Yeah. Uh, so we did it up. And uh, when, it, when, when I came back from being on tour, I, I decided to uh, go all in and sell the house and use the money to finance my uh, my studies in, in America. So tell us about leaving Northern England. What was it like? Obviously a bit of a culture shock, I would have thought. Yeah, it was. I mean, I, I, I've been to California in 79 with my father and uh, he was. He said to me when I was there, he said, why don't we fix you a trial with Los Angeles Aztecs, you know? Because Burnley's a funny story. I never actually got fired by Burnley. I just stopped turning up, which, you know, looking back on today, I could kick myself for it. It was so stupid. But I, well, I you must have had some, some, yeah, you must have had some talent then for, for football. Well, I was playing seven matches a week. My uncle had a pub team and then I was playing for the county and schools and stuff. And I'd, I think I just burned out and thought. And where oh, did you play on the pitch? Uh, I was either midfield or uh, up front. And, uh, you know, I had my uncle begging me to, can you play tomorrow for a pub team? And I said, well, I've, I've got training with Burnley the day after. I don't want to injure myself. You know, <laughs> and he'd say things like, look, you're not good enough to make it. So just play for the pub team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, so when I got to America, I, I kind of knew what I was in for, but I, I'd never lived on my own uh, in, a, in another country. So it was a bit, you know, I had friends out there that wanted to. to so we, we're, in, we're in the 80s now. Early we're 86, March 86, I went out. 1986, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you arrive and you, you, you've you got to find somewhere to live. The first thing that happened to me, of course, I missed my flight, my connection from London. So I had to stay overnight in uh, in a hotel, get the flight out the next day. And then when I got there, my guitar had got lost. Uh, so it was a bit of a bad start. But I, I stayed in the Holiday Inn for like three nights until I found an apartment. Uh, yeah. I shared an apartment with another guy. Uh, GIT, MI was pretty good at helping people find accommodation. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so you get your appointment, you sign up for a year, and then it's just, you know, I, I was studying, I'd say, 18 hours out of 24 every day because I, I was paying for it myself. You yeah. know, and all the other guys I met from like Sweden, they said, oh, no, the government just lends us the money. We, we got the rest of our life to pay it back, you know. So I was definitely dedicated to, you know, using every every minute. Of so, the day. so yeah, so in Sweden then, they, they were actually paying for, for kids to go over. Well, you could get a, you could get a loan to study, and, and they didn't. Yeah. Uh, the thing that I think maybe it was some equivalent in Britain, but the problem was that MI wasn't wasn't uh, uh, credited as a proper school at the time. Yeah. So it wasn't seen as an institute, uh, a university, or a, a place of. So at the Qatar, education. yeah. So at, at the Qatar Institute of Technology, mm -hmm. um, presumably you you were mixing with um, some of the best guitarists in the world. Absolutely. I mean, f first yeah. the faculty that's that taught there. I mean, in fact, I'm looking. I have a, a picture on my wall. Now I'm looking at me sat next to Larry Colton jamming. Uh, you know, I'd gone from listening to Larry Colton and Steely Dan to sitting yeah. next to him and playing and, and, and wow. picking his brain. I mean, it was just unreal. Yeah. Uh, but then the students. I remember. Uh, in fact, last year I'm there was a Brazilian guy came into Stockholm, yeah. and he was my neighbour in uh, Hollywood. And I met him when he was 17. He spoke no English. We played guitar together and we played chess. And now, of course, he speaks English. And uh, I met him for the first time in like 35 years last year. And he, yeah. at that age, at 17, he was playing all the Mike Stern albums, note for note. You know, he just had an incredible ear. Yeah. Uh, there were so Mike, Mike Stern, is it, is it sort of bluesy jazz guitarist, is he? Jazz fusion, yeah. Jazz fusion. Jazz yeah. fusion. I mean, he could play anything. You could play him anything and he could just play it back at you straight away. He just had yeah. an incredible year. I mean, so, I, so what I was going to say was, um, 
you, you, so you go to the Guitar Institute of Technology, you're mixing with these brilliant players and, and you're, you're also mixing with other students like yourself. Mm. What makes a good guitarist? Is, is it talent or is it hard work or is it both in your view? It's a difficult question. I, I, first of all, I think perseverance. Uh, well, let's start from the beginning. I think you have to have a feel for it. I mean, for me, I would rather have a, a player that has feel over technical chops any day. Yeah. You know, yeah. If you hear someone like, let's say, Colton or Robin Ford, uh, they are technical in a sense, but they're not technical in the Steve Vai sense or the, uh, you know, the John Petrucci sense. Yeah. But, you know, Colton could, start a solo with just one note and just that one note was like oh wow and that's the difference between a great guitar player and you know the millions of others out there that uh, you know we tend to you always go for that safe blues lake or whatever you know it's about expanding your horizons I think going to a place like GIT but there were a lot of bad players there too I mean everyone that was there wasn't amazing you yeah. know there were guys there asking what a C chord was it to the third fret you know like an A shape what chord's yeah. that and I'm thinking yeah Wow, you you got in because you had to do an audition, you know, had to send a tape over, and uh, sure. And when I got in, I was like, "Wow, this is going to be amazing." So if you if you were um, sort of playing the guitar for for eighteen hours a day, that, that's that's a lot of hours. I should do, be a lot better think- than I am now. That's the, that's the truth. <laughs> do, do, I mean, in, in in your experience, do you find that the best guitarists do practice for many hours a day? Or is I, it all, I don't is know. I, I can only relate to myself. I don't know whether yeah. guitarists practice, but I yeah. mean. The, the, they drilled it into, you know, everybody had an egg timer. So you set your egg timer on 20 minutes and then you do an exercise for 20 minutes and then you, yeah. you know, then you do ear training for 20 minutes. And basically their, their, their sales pitch for the school was they can teach you in, in one year what it would take 10 years to, to, to stumble and, upon by yourself. And, and, and did you find that as you, as you were going yeah. through? Did, yeah, I would yeah. say so. You yeah. know, it's, it's, yeah. uh, and the, the other thing I, I would do different if I, cause I, I was there for a couple of years and the first year when I studied, I just studied. I didn't look for gigs outside of the school, which I should have done, because yeah. you're in a bubble when you're in the school. Yeah. Uh, and there were other ki- guys there who found top forty gigs, and uh, you build connections, and you know, one thing leads to another. And uh, uh, you know, the second year I was there, I started doing auditions and got management and got in a band that was signed and doing all that stuff. And I could have done that the first year, to be honest. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So how long were you in America for? Because you're in Sweden now, aren't you? Yeah, well, what happened, it was, I mean, it's, the, the t- I can say this now because it's everybody knows about it, but The the Ghost in My Heart, the title of the album, is, is actually about my first real love uh, yeah. who came from Skipton. And we were together for one year and I went off to America with my, my dad on a holiday and it just blew my mind, you know, and I came back and I thought, oh, I don't want to be tied down at 17. So I, I finished really like an idiot and it took me like three weeks to realise it was a mistake, but then she didn't want to know. And she went off to university and, uh, you know, I did my thing. And then we ended up getting back together after like three years. And we were together for six years. And, yeah. uh, and then this GIT thing came up and I said, come with me. You know? And she said, no, I don't want, I don't want to go to America. And uh, so she said, let's do this. Let's get engaged. You go and study for one year. And then when you come back, we'll get married. And I said, yeah, sure. But then, of course, when I got there and, you know, I did the, the one year study and you know, all these opportunities were popping up. The last thing on my mind was coming back to to Rochdale, getting married, and uh, you know settling down. So yeah, what happened was I she started to give me ultimatums because uh, I came home. We went on a vacation because we hadn't seen each other for like six months. Uh, she did come out on holiday actually once, but uh, so we went off to Tenerife. And uh, while I was in Tenerife, my dad called and said uh, they called from LA and they told me to tell you the answer is yes. What does that mean? And my like personal tutor, Dan Gilbert, he'd said to me when I was leaving, he said, why don't you stay and teach? I said, do you think you can fix a job? He said, yeah, I'm sure I can, you know. So right. uh, then, of course, that planted the seed that I wanted. I did want to go back. And uh, yeah. I said to, to uh, my girlfriend, the ghost, I said, um, it's just for summer school. I'm just going to teach summer school. So I'll be away for like three months, you know. And when I got back there, I went back. I didn't even call. I just packed my suitcase, flew back. I met my tutor and said, thanks for fixing the job. And he just said, what job? I said, well, you called my dad. He said, yeah, I just said, say yeah to Quint, you know. So my dad had twisted this conversation, which totally changed my career path forever, changed my life. And, uh, you know, I went back there. I I got a job teaching at the school eventually, doing summer school. And then I started to teach. I got regular hours. And, uh, you know, my fiancé said, when are you coming back? And I said, 
just give me a couple more months. And, and it just got to a point where I just said, you know, we, we're not going to, it's not going to work. You know, I'm going to come back. I'm going to be yeah. miserable. So we split up and uh, I carried on teaching. I'd already joined a band by this time and got management. They had the band actually, I would say they were sweet. They were uh, LA's version of Wham, except none of them had talent. <laughs> right. They just had a rich grandmother that bankrolled them. So they were signed to a, a couple of girls who worked at William Morris and uh, I joined them and eventually they, they dropped the band and signed me on a, a solo deal. Yeah. So, uh, and the idea was that we were going to get a green card and, uh, and uh, you know, go from there. But yeah. while we were doing that, I met the woman that would become my wife of the last, well, we got married in 1990. So, uh, and that was also a weird thing because we were together for about three months out there and uh, we had the best Christmas day ever. And then the day after, she said, "Can you can you drive me to the airport? Uh, I need to go back to my family now." So uh, I said, "Is that it?" I thought we were in love. She said, "Nah, just a bit of fun." <laughs> so she left me, and I was I was like so sad in Hollywood. On no, I have to say that yeah, this sounds like a lot of content for songs in, in your experience. Well, there's a new song yeah. on the new album called Hollywood, which is about this experience. Uh, yeah, yeah. But the thing was that like in April, no, probably February, the year after, she sent me a letter saying, "You know, I miss you. Why don't you come to Stockholm? Just visit me and." Uh, so I bought a two-week return ticket and never used the return ticket. And that's all because my dad, you know, misunderstood the conversation. Yes. And you've been in Sweden ever since? Yeah, actually I have. Yeah, I've been living in Stockholm and uh, it's, uh, I mean, the, it was also a nice culture change when I came. I'd had two and a half years of sunshine and yeah. I came to Sweden and you got this amazing seasonal, you know, you had the, the, the harsh winters and uh so I came at the end of a harsh winter, lots of snow, and it was picturesque, and you know. Yeah. So uh, presumably now you you can speak fluent Swedish. Yeah, I can. Yeah, and that means yes, I can. I speak perfect Swedish. <laughs> Did it take you a long time to learn? Well, I didn't think I was going to stay here for two years. So I mean, no. I was I never made an effort to learn it, and uh, yeah. I went to one of these Swedish for immigrant schools, and I was yes. the, I went two days. The first day you learn, hi, uh, my name is. And then I went the second day and they started from scratch again. And I'd just come from playing like Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas and I'm sat in this dingy classroom, you know, in the city. And I'm thinking, what am I doing here? This is, you know, this is not for me. So I, so I never I never bothered with the, the school thing. But then I started reading newspapers and picking it up that way. Yeah. Um, so, you, so you're in Sweden. Um, you've been to America. You, you obviously started off in the UK. Yeah. Um, how did how did the music take off? I, I presume you know immediately you were looking for something to do in, in music wise in Sweden when you when you arrived. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd come from uh, what happened in the states was I was playing all the clubs on the Sunset Strip, and uh, even with this like American version of Wham, we had lots of lots of good gigs because the management were so connected, you know. So we were playing all like the whiskey and you know these really famous clubs, and, and that was great. So when I got to Sweden, my because I didn't think I was going to stay. The, the first thing that happened, my uh, my wife saw some guy carrying a, a bass guitar outside our apartment window, going into the house next door. And uh, uh, one day she asked him, what, do you guys have a band? And he said, yeah. I said, oh, my my, uh, my boyfriend's a guitar player. Do you need a guitar player? And he said, yeah, we do actually. So uh, and they had a rehearsal space. And uh, so I joined these guys and there was we got signed to what was Electra Records at the time. Yeah. Uh, and started to record an album. Uh, but unfortunately, the the Electra folded and became another company called Grand Music. And while we're still recording the album one day in the studio, the police came in and arrested the uh, the MD of the company. Oh, really? <laughs> so they just said, "Guys, uh, can you come in the control room? Just put your instruments down." Uh, so they only released like I think Electra released one single. So, uh, and I didn't really want to do that. I wanted to do sessions. You know, that was my dream. That's why I went to the states. So yeah. one of the guys who produces, I said to him, "Can you?" can you help me get into sessions? You know, he'd done all the, he played with all the album guys and uh, he said, yeah, sure. And I thought, yeah, right. You know, who's, who's going to give away work? And, and like literally the next day, one of the top producers, uh, the guy actually who produced Movie Star, if you remember that with Harpo. Uh, yeah. Movie yeah. Star, Movie Star. He yes, called me and said, uh, yeah. you've been recommended for, can you be at this studio, Polar Studios tomorrow at 10 o'clock? And, uh, and that was the start of a, a long relationship with this guy doing sessions for him, you know. Yeah. So um, in terms of your actual guitar playing, mm. um, my guess is if you were doing sessions, you, you are probably a very versatile guitarist. Well, that was the thing. At, at, at the school, at MI, I took the vocational degree, which was country, rock, jazz, blues, and yeah. fusion. 
so I was, I was pretty good at country before I went because my dad loved country. So I used to be able to do that, like chicken picking stuff. Um, yeah. So I had kind of a, 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 a feel for that. Uh, I don't think I've ever done a country session thinking about it, but um, so, and then being able to read was a big plus for the studios because this guy was like chart city. You know, we used to, he used to pick up the charts on the way to the studio and everything was written out and uh, it, it makes it a lot easier. Um, so I was, yeah. In fact, the last session I did for him was the hardest thing I've ever, I was thinking about this yesterday. He'd done some piece for a film and it was, it was like a Latin thing and it changed key five times. So there was, if you can imagine that the, the manuscript, there was like seven sheets that he had spread out over like three music stands. Yeah. And this guy's like old school and he doesn't like punching in. So I had to play it all in one and it was four chords to a bar and change key five times or whatever. Wow. Yeah. And I, I don't think I could do that today. I'm just, I just, you know, I don't have my hand in anymore because I do my Certainly own Certainly very taxing. Yeah. <laughs> Concentration <laughs> yeah. city, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but it was great. I got to play with the ABBA guys, you know, the the Rutger Gunnarsson, the bass player, and uh, uh, Oki Sundqvist, all these Swedish session legends, you know, they, they yeah. took me in and uh, uh, it was brilliant. It was so you became part of the Swedish musical establishment, did you? A little bit, yeah. I mean, there, yeah. There, there's a lot of other guitarists here in Sweden, a guy called Stefan Asner who... I used to hear him in the, the like the, the room next door when I was in studios putting solos down. It's just yeah. stunning guitar player. A guy called Matthias Terrell. Uh, they're amazing guitar players, you know. Yeah. So was when you that period where you, where you you actually came into Sweden and mm. before your solo album yeah. um, in 2016, was it sessions all the time, or were you playing in bands and touring around the world? No, I was doing a lot of covers, uh, playing in bands. I did. A, we had a, a, a TV show called Stars in Their Eyes, which is. Uh, they took out on tour, so yeah. we did that. Um, I was in top 40 bands doing lots of casual gigs. Uh, I, I always laugh, you know, my last gig in, in the States was Caesar's Palace, and my first gig yeah. in Sweden was a, a, a tiny little cafe, which I got paid 20 quid, and they, <laughs> they docked 18 quid out because I had two beers. <laughs> so I ended up with two quid for my first gig. Yeah. It was like, but uh, I started to meet a lot of musicians, and uh, yeah. I've always been a bit, I've always been a bit shy um, and a bit unsure of my own uh, abilities. So when I when I first came here, I met a guy in this rehearsal place my wife found, and he was it's a guy called Eric Bibb. Actually, he's quite established now on the country blues folk circuit worldwide. He's, he plays a lot in UK, Eric Bibb, and he and I, I played him my my demo tape, and he said, "Oh, you should ring these guys." And it was the the ABBA guys, the, the creme de la creme of the studios. But I, yeah. I thought, I can't do that. You know, it's, I'm not worthy kind of thing. But uh, I ended up playing with them anyway. But uh, yeah. So I did, I did you know, every kind of gig. And then one day when I was at a, at a party, I, uh, I stood next to a guy who said, hey, do you, what do you do? Are you a musician? I said, yeah. I said, do you do music for commercials? I said, yeah. I thought, you know, how hard can it be? And uh, he said, great. He said, I need a guy to do some Juicy Fruit commercials. He said, uh Here's my number. Call me tomorrow. So I did, and he sent me to meet Juicy Fruit, and I got like five gigs from him, five films. And uh, funny story there, actually. (laughs) I had to meet these guys at Juicy Fruit, and there's like a really tall Swedish guy, uh, American guy, John, and a a short Swedish guy. who's was his yes man. And we sit in this conference room, and they're at one end of the table, and I'm like, you know, 20 feet at the other end. Mm. And it was a lot of small talk. And eventually said, okay, Quinn, so what's it going to cost us? And I had no idea what to charge, you know, no idea at all. You know, I've been doing casual gigs for 20 yeah. quid and God not. So yeah. I said, probably about 40,000. And he, and he said, would that be kroner or pounds? <laughs> and I didn't. There's know, only one answer to that. I didn't there? have the, the nerve to say, you know, pounds, no. but, uh, yeah. but it was a good lesson. And I, and I started to get more work in the jingle thing. And then, yeah. you know, that led to, I've had a company. I've just celebrated my 29th year with my company now doing. And what's the company called? It's called Music for Media. Music for Media. Is that with a, a number four? Or it's a, with a number four, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so so when you when you did the, the jingles yeah. and the work for the TV and cinema, are, are you basically doing all the instruments on those? Uh, no, if I, if I could, if I could do it all again, I would use more real musicians on stuff because the problem yeah. with using technology and, and drum machines, it dates things so much, you know? Yeah. So, and, and it's a, it's a catch 22 for, for, for people who are composing for media because you're totally steered by your budget. Of course. You yeah. know, if you're getting 
let's just pick a figure out. That if you're getting 1,500 quid to do a, a little jingle uh, and then you've got to pay a bass player 300 quid, a drummer 300 quid, by the time you've done it, there's nothing left, you know, so you've got to, something's yeah. got to give somewhere. So I, I, I tended to try and do as much as I could in the beginning. So you would program the drums on computers? Drums. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. all my best work, I still feel, is when I've actually had a, a band. You know, when I did, I did a big McDonald's jingle, and then I yeah. just, I just booked the best players in town. Is that McDonald's in Sweden rather yeah. than? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I mean, I used to walk the streets here and then pass mothers and daughters singing it. You know, the, the, the really song because it, that, it, that, it, that must be fantastic. Well, they paid, they, they put some money, so much money into promotion. You know, they, they spent yeah. over uh, a million pounds in in promotion TV. Uh, so everybody knew it, you know, it, it ran for yeah. eight years. Uh, and in 2001, I was the most played composer in Sweden because of that. So, wow. Uh, yeah. And you've done, have you done stuff for cinema as well, the big screen? Uh, not so much. I've done a couple of small, smaller, what do they call them? Shorts, but no, no major uh, film, film things. I'd love yeah. to do it. Uh, yeah. I have a friend actually who's, uh, he was my drummer for a long time when we, when we toured my album in, in England, he, he was playing drums and he's a, he's actually a film producer. And he said to me, he said, you wouldn't want to do it. I said, why not? I said, because it's, there's so much comebacks and there's so much tweaks and there's so much, you know, you, you, after doing jingles and fast turnarounds, you, you yeah. pull your hair out. So, but yeah. I'd love to do it actually. I still think. Yeah. Uh, so if we fast forward to, to your album that was released in 2016. Yeah. Um, is, are they the first songs that you wrote? Because I know, to, I know that you wrote the songs on there. Well, have you always been writing? No, I haven't because my guitar players suffer because of the jingle thing. Because I, 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 there are certain things I regret because, you know, like one of the guys singing on my uh, early Juicy Fruit stuff was Max Martin, for God's sake, you know, who's like the, the most successful pop song writer and producer of all time now, you know. Yeah. And I could have gone that route with him, you know. And there's another guy called Anders Baggy who also sang on Juicy Fruit. He went on to write for Madonna and Celine Dion and, you know, mega yeah. success. And he was saying to me, you know, why don't we write together, you know, back in 1990, you know, and yeah, I yeah. just got into the jingles and, you know, the, 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 the revenue income was so different to playing gigs. I just thought this is, you know, this is my career. So I, I chased that as opposed to uh, yeah. investing in writing songs. Well, presumably you, you had a, a sort of new family, did you? A young family? No, I didn't. Like, I, my kids no. are, the, we didn't have kids for 10 years, actually. So there, oh, right. was, there was no pressure in that respect. But no. uh, it just felt like I was on a roll with the jingles and I enjoyed it. Yeah. And uh, I mean, any 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 jingle guy will tell you, you do a job and that enables you to buy some more equipment. And then you, you do another one. You know, I used to look at my studio and I could almost say what every piece of equipment was bought with. Oh, that's yeah. McDonald's, that's Toyota, that's yeah. blah, blah, blah. So uh, in terms of writing songs then, that, that came later? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, d I almost released an album '95. I, I have a, I have a CD with uh, like seven songs on that I sent I sent to a magazine called Sound on Sound, a British magazine. Yeah, and they gave me a review and said uh, sounds kind of like a English Brian Adams uh, could definitely make an impact as a recording artist, but yeah. probably some jingles came and I didn't do anything. And then a friend of mine approached me in 2000 and said uh, he he was actually a he worked for Ernst and Young, but he was a a musician, you know, he programmed and played keyboards. He said, I want to get a publishing deal. Do you fancy writing some songs? And, you know, so we wrote maybe three songs, sent out two CDs to two publishers and uh, EMI called us back and said, uh, we'll sign you to a development deal, six months. And we did that. And then after six months, he said, yeah, we want to sign you. So, uh, you know, they just said, uh, have a think about how much money you want and come back. So we were, uh, and I brought in a third guy because I've been working with a young producer who was really good. And yeah. I thought, you know, so we just said, we write a song, we split it three ways. Uh, so then we went back to AMI and we came up with a figure and, you know, because it split three ways easily. And uh, they said, yeah, sure. Uh, we couldn't believe it, you know. All we had to yeah. do was write 15 songs a year. And uh, they gave us this money to, to do that, so... And how far did that go? The not the money, but the uh, well, we the did. Writing. We delivered. Well, you can't just write fifteen songs because you get bored. So we, we delivered yeah. one hundred and fifty songs. Uh, we got about forty-five cuts, which is pretty good going. Actually, it's a pretty good hit rate. Yeah. Uh, and that the, the great thing about it was the experience of when you're in the EMI, EMI family, you really get treated like family wherever they send you in the world. You yeah. know, we went to Germany to write. You, people meet you, take you to the office. You know, they treat you like family. We went to uh, LA 
um, you know, meet all these amazing songwriters. I went to a guy called Alan Rich's house in Beverly Hills, you know, knock, knock. He opens the door. The first thing he said, guys, welcome to the house that Whitney bought me. And he had one song on the Bodyguard soundtrack, and that was it. I mean, he had he had gold records with Stryce yeah. and Rod Stewart, and yeah. you, you name it. But I've I've listened to your album Ghost in My Heart, and and I like it. It's great. And I would say, I mean, how, firstly, how how would you describe your music, you know, on that album? Um, well, to, to getting back to how it came about, uh, how I wrote the songs, when Francis Dunry inspired me to do an album almost like you know pressure this is this is yeah just for listeners this is france francis dunnery from a band the band called it bites correct Um, which uh, were quite famous weren't they in the 80s yeah lots of hits and massive in japan and uh, i met francis because he played a house concert he does does these house concerts where he plays in people's living room with just 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 francis yeah, just on his own. Oh, right. No microphone, right. nothing, just an acoustic guitar. And it's absolutely yeah. mesmerizing. You know, the first time I had him, I invited 40 people into my home. Um, 38 hadn't heard of him. Um, by the end of the night, everyone was just saying it's the best thing they've ever seen. You know, and I had guys who'd like, you know, work for massive companies who'd been around the world and said, this was just. And, it, and the great thing about it is he doesn't just do songs. He does a lot of stories, but not yeah. your rock and roll stories. They're, they're more like. Um, Outlook on life and situations and blah 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 yeah. and astrology and lots of things with a bit of comedy as well or um, oh there's a lot of funny stories yeah absolutely yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean uh, there's not many people in the world that can tell a story he said yeah when I was signed to Atlantic I was walking down the street in New York and uh, Ahmed Artigan calls me from Atlantic the president says uh, hey Francis what are you doing oh, I'm just walking the street mate do you want to have gin- do you want to have dinner with Mick Jagger tonight uh, yeah, all right, that sounds good. <laughs> he had loads of those stories. And, uh, you know, he played with Robert Plant for five years. So he's, uh, I once asked him, actually, I said, what was it like playing with Robert Plant? And his answer was, well, I didn't have to carry anything for five years. <laughs> Can't have been a bad thing. So you played in, in It Bites as well, didn't you, for a bit? Well, not really. Well, yes and no. I mean, I wouldn't call myself a permanent member. But what happened was when, when I did the album, First of all, Francis invited me over to his studio to to, to mix it and uh, work on it, and he played a lot of drums. and And I learned so much that week. I was there for a week, and it was just just amazing. I can't I can't say enough about about the guy. He's a musical genius. And yeah. it, what we used to do, we used to record during the day, and then he'd, he'd make dinner for his family, and then at night we'd go back down to the studio and just listen to things. And he'd point things out, you know, like listen to everything from the faces to Jaco Pastorius or Bob Marley talking about feel and pocket and lots of things I'd never thought about, you know. Yeah. Uh, and that was just mind blowing. And, and so when it came to like, when I threw up the sessions for my album, he, he listened and he just said, yeah, your vocals need to be delayed about a 96th and uh, <sighs> your guitars are a bit forward too. Let's just move them. And he just moved them in logic and it, and it all just started to groove. And I was like, wow. You know, that's the difference between these really great musicians and, you know, mediocre amateurs like me. <laughs> <laughs> so we, so we did the, we did the, uh, we did the sessions out there. And then I came back with the, the with the disc here to Sweden and I, and I started using Swedish guys to fill in on pedal steel. And yeah. Uh, so the album kind of, the sound kind of developed itself because of who I used on the album. So I, I was playing a lot of acoustic guitar, yeah. had pedal steel. Uh, I had real drummers, um, real keyboard players. Uh, in fact, there's, there's very little programming on it actually, which is probably why it sounds fresh. Yeah. I, I must admit that the, the I love all, what I like about that is it's a very chilled album. Um, yeah. every, every track is, is, you know, one of those growers and it reminded me of, um, the Eagles, but also Poco. I don't okay. know if you remember yeah, Poco in, in the seventies. First band. Yeah, no, obviously not the voice, but but the no. actual sound, the vibe yeah. was was very very good. I guess so I mean, I think- you know, when I was mixing it, actually, I uh, I met a guy at Nam, uh, a guy yeah. from New York called George yeah. Petit, and uh, I sent him one song as a test to mix it. And yeah. The first thing he said was Don Henley with the voice. Don Henley, yeah, that, that's it, Don Henley. But 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 <laughs> which is quite sounding, a compliment. Yeah, and 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 sounding not trying to pretend you're American uh, and sounding English. Well, you know, there's a there's a story is, behind that actually, and that's, oh, all, that's all down to Francis because uh, yeah, the thing with Francis is his his entire vibe is just be yourself. Yeah. So what, yeah. how it all came about basically was he he came to my house and did a house concert. And I didn't yeah. know him at all. I just contacted his manager and he showed up. And uh, I mean, I followed it by when I was about 18, 19, but then I yeah. kind of lost touch when I moved to America. Yeah. And uh, 
so when when I was doing my album, he he said to me actually, he said uh, the second time he came to my house to do another concert, he said, uh, you know, man, you've got a studio. Why, why don't you do an album? And I said, well, you know, I'm doing all my jingles and it keeps me busy and blah, blah, blah. No, you should definitely do an album. So he said, I'll help you. And yeah. I didn't think much of it. You know, he, he, uh, as he was backing down my driveway after the gig, he wound his window down and he just said, hey, Quint, remember, document your soul. And I thought, wow, that's a great wow. album title. Yeah. So, uh, you know, nothing happened. I was doing my jingles and TV stuff. And about yeah. two months later, he called me up and said, how's it going? I said, oh, I'm, I'm still doing the jingles, mate. He said, listen, Next time I'm in Sweden, I'll come and sit with you for a full week and help you get going. And as oh, soon really? as he said that, I thought, okay, that's, you know, I've got to do it. So uh, An offer not, not to refuse. No, exactly. And then oh, what, what happened was we would, I would, I started to send him old songs. You know, I used to, I was signed yeah. to EMI in early 2000s. So I have at least 150 songs that I wrote for other artists, you know, as a catalog. Yeah. But uh, yeah, some of the ones I hadn't used, I, I sent him and then I suddenly thought, you know, th- this is, crazy because if, if nothing happened with them at the time I wrote them, you know, nothing's going to happen now. Yeah. So I just thought, yeah. you know what, I'm, I'm just going to do like a, a midlife crisis album and just write about things I know, people, real people that I've met, my mother, oh, yeah. my, my sons, my ex-girlfriends, my wife. And, and it was so easy to do it that way because it was like writing a diary, you know. Just being yourself. Just being yourself. And, and getting yeah. back to the accent, when finally, after oh, yeah. we'd been Skyping for ages, you know, Francis said, you know what, you, you've got so far now, just bring all the tapes and all the, the hard disks to uh, to my place in uh, Pennsylvania and we'll do it together. Yeah. So I thought, wow, this is this is awesome. So I get there and uh, the first thing he said to me, he says, you know what, he says, I buy your lyrics, I buy your, your, your melodies, he said, but, and I, and I buy your voice, he said, but sometimes yeah. like you just start to sound American. You know, you get this yeah. John Cougar Mellencamp thing going and trust me, <laughs> The world yeah. does not need another John Cougar Miller camp. Just be yourself. Just be yourself. Yeah. So, so what happened was he said, "Right, sing in your in your local Accrington accent." I said, "I can't yeah. do that." You know, I sing the way I sing because of yeah. all the years I've been singing. And all the just try it. Just try it. You know. Yeah. So it's like, uh, "There's a place in my heart," <laughs> and he went. Yeah, maybe you want to dial it back a bit. That's too. Yeah, 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 <laughs> so that's yeah. a, you know that's that's why it's it's not Americanized because yeah. I was really conscious of that. Yeah, and, and I don't know when I've because I've I've been playing in bands with Greg, and because uh, I'm a guitarist and and um, I do a bit of singing as well. I'm not not I wouldn't call myself a singer by any means, but I did I did find myself singing American all the time. And, well, um, I mean, we grew up with that we, music, and you, well, you, we did. You, we when did. you're learning the yeah. song, you tend to yeah. you tend to try and sound like the original singer. Yeah, you do. It's it's yeah. 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 okay. Everything comes from uh, what you listen to growing up. I mean, it's a language basically, and and you know yeah. you've heard phrases and licks and um sounds and you know i listen to my, my son's 18 and 21 so i listen to a lot of their music now and uh my young my eldest son 21 he's great at programming things i can give him a, a like a, a top 40 track now and he'll yeah. just throw up his laptop and he can open logic and he can he can you know rip it off in seconds all this side yeah. chaining and compression and stuff they just know what to do and that's thanks to youtube you know yeah, yeah. I wish you could play guitar, but uh. <laughs> you you decided not to go down the sort of guitar power trio type of um, sound. Um, not really. No, I mean, no. I, I like I like having a keyboard player in the band. Yeah, I always have. I like that yeah. uh, that cushion of of. It's almost. I always look at it like a, a stereo blanket around the, you know, something a foundation to to lie on. And then I've been lucky to have great bass players out here in Sweden. You know, I used two on the album and they're both geniuses. And I could play the bass myself, but the thing is using real bass players, as I call them, you always get something extra. Yeah, yeah, I think you, know? you do. It's interesting what you're saying about the keyboard because I, I remember, you know, in the 70s, I was into bands like Thin Lizzy. Yeah, um, me too. Robin Trower and, and yeah. you know, that, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but I also like Santana. and Yeah, um, yep, like Secrets. Santana. Yeah, yeah, really? great. I mean, with the keyboards behind, it allowed the guitar to sort of, you know, soar yeah. and, and do things that you couldn't just do with, with yeah. just a, a, a basic sound. So I know where you're coming from. On Wasn't that. that Greg Roller that played in, in Santana, that went on to, yes. to play in Journey? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, great keyboard player as well, which must have... Uh, yeah. But I love Santana. Definitely one of my earliest uh, influences, actually. Yeah. I saw Santana live, um, I think it was about 1977, at Crystal Palace Garden Party. Um, oh. And they played this stage... Um, which was the other side of a lake 
um, and a few of us went in this lake. <laughs> Uh, and it was in September, so it was just starting to cool off a Freezing. bit. Freezing. Yeah. And we actually went right up to the stage. And I, I think I must have been about two meters from Carla wow. Santana. Wow. Yeah. So, so, so where are you based? Where, where, where are you situated? Uh, well, I, I'm, from, I'm from Windsor originally, but okay. uh, I live, I live in um, South Lincolnshire. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, Sarah, so but Sarah, track, track number two on my arm, she lives in Windsor. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, right. I, I know a few Sarahs, but whether it's the same one. But uh, no, it was a good good gig and, and uh, they're, they're a great band. But back, back back to you so in terms of writing songs what, what's your process of writing a song because you're doing lyrics as well you're doing the music yeah yeah, yeah. what's your process um i've learned from experience that the best way to write a song is is with an acoustic guitar or a piano uh yeah uh, not i mean a lot of people now they they write on tracks you know people do tracks and they have a drum groove and a, a bit of a you get people called top liners and but i just think if you can play it on an acoustic guitar uh and it sounds good the next day you remember it you know, often yeah. when you're brushing your teeth, you've been working on a song. If it comes in your head, it's probably worth continuing. So do you um, come up with the lyrics first or the melody or does it come together? Um, sometimes it comes together, but I usually have a concept or um, um, some, well, for instance, take a song like uh, Malibu. You know, I met my wife, basically, the first date we had was in Malibu. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean... The lyrics kind of wrote themselves because, you know, I was calling her up, was on the phone for hours, yeah. uh, you know, trying to buy your flowers, uh, oysters, all, all the things that she likes. And uh, and yes. I was poor as a church mouse at that time, you know, so I'm running out of runway. I had nowhere left to land. Then I saw a diamond in the California sun. And once she, it kind of feeds the next line in, in a way. So yeah. I, have a, I write a lot, of, a lot of lyrics for other people here in Sweden who, who – uh, Obviously, because I've got the English language as a, a verse, but yeah. Uh, but now, uh, certain songs you can. I think the hardest part of writing on your own is that second voice that you sometimes need to say it's good, leave it, don't tweak it anymore. You know, especially when it yeah. comes to production, because uh, you're trying to perfect it too much. Well, you, 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 like when I went out to Francis, you know, he opened up my sessions and and he said. God, what, what have you got stereo shaker for? You don't need that. You don't need that. You don't need that. You don't need that. And he said, basically, you need four elements at once. You know, you need a bass, drums, guitar, maybe a keyboard and the voice. Yeah. You know, because that's all the brain can concentrate on, you know, and uh, he's right. You know, it's mm. uh, if you have a good foundation, that's all you need. You don't need to cover it up. But it's so easy these days. You've got like 150 million tracks in Logic that you can fill. Yeah, yeah. So, so in writing then, you, you come up with a, normally you come up with a concept or a subject and, and then you, that then feeds into the lyrics and the, the music comes. Yeah, I, I like to find something that I want to say or, or like, yeah. for instance, there's, there's going to be a song on my new album called uh, You Knew All Along. And it's about one of my best friends in England, unfortunately he lost his wife uh, a couple of years ago okay. uh, to cancer. And, you know, you're in that situation where you're hoping for the best, but we all know, and she yeah. knew it, it wasn't going to end well, you know. Mm. And uh, and I wrote the song after talking to my friend, and uh, I was over in England. It must have been two years ago now because of the COVID thing. But and I had my guitar in the boot. We met for lunch, and and I said I've I've written a song, uh, and he'd actually written some lyrics. That was it. He'd, he'd written a letter to her. And he sent me the letter. And when I read the letter, I realized I needed to write a song because the the, the, the lyrics in there were good. So I, I kind of changed them and added some of my own stuff. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, so I played that song for him. Like We went out to a car park after lunch and I took my guitar and I promise you, I didn't even get to the chorus and he was crying his eyes out. You know, it was like, yeah, it was the most powerful musical experience I've ever had in my life. Yeah. Uh, and that's great with music. It's just, yeah. you know, we, we can use it for, there's a girl that sang all the backups on my album called Dory Jackson, who's you know done loads of gigs with Francis and the guys from Squeeze, and she's just like a brain surgeon of harmony. And yeah. she said one day when we were working, I flew her over to Sweden, so we did everything here. And she said, uh, "Can I play you my favourite go-to song when I'm sad, when I want to cry?" I said, "Yeah, sure." And she she played me this Blue Nile track called "Stay Close," and it yeah. just hit me straight away, you know. And I was like listening to it, and te I was well enough listening to it, and it's amazing how music can do that to you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if, you, if you hit the right nerve, and yeah, so, yeah. So this 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 the song you were talking about uh, to do with your friend and his wife mm -hmm. is coming out on the new album, is it? Yeah. 
And when, when obviously it's work in progress, but when, when do you envisage the, the album being released? Well, I'm getting embarrassed now because I'm looking at demos of songs that are demo for it that have dates on like 2017. So I really want to get it out this year for sure. You know, uh, I'm working pretty much nonstop on it at the moment. Um, but uh, And then the other thing with writing songs, it's hard to say things of substance. Um, you know, you get the cliches of, you don't love me anymore, or I love you, or why don't you love me? And, you know, those songs have been done to death. So it's always interesting yeah. to find, you know, like my hometown, you know, Accrington. When I go back there, you know, no disrespect, disrespect to people who still live there, but everyone will tell you it's a different place. It's changed. You know, yeah. people had respect when I was there. They dressed well and, you know, now I go back there and it's 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 such a tragedy, you know. But so my memories for that, you know, sitting on the top deck of a double-decker bus, smiling at the crowds below, everybody's smartly dressed, everyone's got pride. This is how it used to be before my hometown died. And it, those words, they, they just come in a, a conscious flow, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then what's interesting about writing, I, I can remember where I am at the time I write those things. I remember the, oh, really? the, the last verse is... Uh, 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 about uh, when society was strong and not broken and your neighbours could leave your door open. I was sat at my kitchen table writing that and one of my neighbours knocked on the door and I was like, should I stop and answer or should I keep going? <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I stopped and let him in. I said, I'm just in the middle of a lyric. Can I finish it? He said, yeah, sure. So I, I like finished it. And, uh, and Do you ever wake up in the middle of the night with a, with a, a melody? or, or a Not anymore. Words? Not anymore. No, no, no. unfortunately. But uh, yeah. But it's, it's it like, Paul McCartney, wasn't it, who, who dreamt about yesterday or something? Scrambled eggs, wasn't it? Something like that. Oh, I love yeah. your lovely legs or something. I mean, there's the classic one with Keith Richards. I think he he had a cassette or a tape machine by his bed and he always used to, you know, record things before he went to sleep and woke up one day yeah. and press play and I think it was Satisfaction that was uh, on there. I think it's really important that you do that, though, because you always think, that's the great thing about the phone. I, whenever I get an idea and I always record it in my phone. There's so many yeah, great apps. It's so but, handy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. songwriter app I use, and yeah. and if I get a, a a title, I'll just I'll just put it in there and come back yeah. to it. And that's 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 made things a lot easier because you never do rem remember them. No. How, how do you find the the current contemporary music scene? I think it's great. I'm I'm listening to you know Spotify is an interesting concept that we've had to adapt to. Uh, yeah. You know I'm. Am I a fan? Yes, I am, because it's like having a virtual record store at your fingertips 24-7. Uh, do I think they pay the artists what they should get? No, I don't. No. Um, and, of course, here it's a double-edged sword because I, 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 I see what the CEO, the guy who started it, is doing, you know, finance-wise and the property empire is building and, you know, it's all on the back of musicians kind of thing. And I actually played there. They, they actually, a guy saw me playing in town. This is not long ago. It's about three years ago. I was, I was doing a solo gig in the middle of the city. Uh, yeah. It was an afternoon gig in, in a, like a, a shopping mall, at a nice little wine bar. And he, he, this guy was watching me. And when I finished, he said, uh, is that your own stuff? I said, yeah, I've released an album. He said, can you play at my job tomorrow? I said, it depends where you work. He said, I work at Spotify. I said, what time do you want me to be there? Because <laughs> I just saw it as an opportunity to get my songs yeah. in some decent playlists. And, and I said yeah. to him, I said, I don't want any money. I said, just uh, just put my songs in some good playlists and I'll, I'll come and play. And the gig was at eight o'clock in the morning. It was like a breakfast session. Yeah. Uh, and I did the gig and it was great. And then I had to fight tooth and nail to get him to put some. Did you? So, and, th and this is the scary thing, the power. At the time, I probably had maybe 200 uh, followers or listeners or whatever they call it. Yeah. Uh, and I fought to get these songs in a playlist. And, and in the end, they said, first they told me, well, we've given your album to the, the playlist editors. And unfortunately, you don't, have a, you don't have an audience on Spotify. We're sorry. But uh, if you write anything else, you know, let us know. And that really bugged me. Yeah, I so I, I, uh, I, I wrote back to him and I said, you know what? Forget the playlist. I'll send you an invoice for my time. You know, I don't get out of bed at yeah. seven for nothing. And, you know, I'll yeah. just send you an invoice. No problem. And then, of course, they got back and said, uh, well, let, let's do a test. We'll put one song in a playlist, which they did. And yeah. within a week, I was up at, uh, I think it was up at like 75,000 listeners. Oh, wow. Yeah, so yeah. that's one song, one playlist, 75,000. Imagine getting 10 songs out there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just ridiculous. So, yeah. Yeah. But then again, how do you break through as a new artist today? It's it's a difficult different set of circumstances. What the only thing I find with Spotify, I mean, I love it. You know, have it on in the house most evenings mm. uh, while I'm getting dinner ready and that. Mm. But 
Whereas before, when you were younger, you used to go out and get your hard-earned money and buy an album for yeah. £2.25 or whatever it was, you, you sort of made yourself like every track because you, you thought, yeah. well, I've just put, I've got to like it. Whereas Spotify, you can flip from one bit to another. Exactly. Exactly. And I think you, you probably lose out in terms of some of the more, shall we say, songs that take time to appreciate you do. And the other thing you miss out, you, first you miss out on the actual smell of the vinyl, which was always amazing. Yeah, the yeah. second thing you miss out on the actual artwork and the labels and yeah, who yeah. played on it. I used to buy albums just by who played on them. I'd flip them <laughs> over. If it was Lukather, Steve Lukather, I'd buy it, you know, and take yeah, a chance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other great thing about Spotify, though, or one great thing about it, is if you find a song you like and you put it on this kind of like artist radio, yeah, you tend to find a lot of new artists who are really great that you would never find otherwise, you know? Yes. So yes. I have a lot of playlists that are, I find one song that I really dig and then I, I, I just put it on radio and then I find loads yeah. of stuff that I like. So who are you listening to at the moment? Any any particular artists? Um, well, guitar-wise, I'm, I'm in love with a guy called Eric Gales uh, from America. Who's, I've heard of him. Oh, yeah. he's amazing. He plays yeah. he plays left hand upside down. Yeah. Uh, and he's just, I met him at the NAMM show a couple of times. He's just the most exciting thing on guitar at the moment. He's, he's brilliant. And he's doing stuff with Eric Johnson now, which is also a favourite. Um, but on my latest playlist, I'm just looking at Spotify here. Uh, I've got one called 2021. I've got loads of artists that, you know, nobody's ever heard of, like the Rebel Sons uh, song. I Googled them. They're two guys from the Philippines. Yeah. Um, I'm listening to a guy called Todd Kressler, who... Uh, has a great song called The Old Fashioned Way. It's about riding to a girl using a typewriter and saying, I'm so glad I found you in the old-fashioned way, you know, right? <laughs> which is just a great concept. It's an interesting concept. Yeah, and I found him because I, I, I listened to a podcast by a guy called Warren Ewart, who's an yeah. uh, English guy living out in America, who interviews engineers, producers, and uh, he'd interviews this guy's producer, and uh, they use this song as an ex- example. and. You know, yeah. loads of avenues open up. But, I, you know, we, we used to get albums where the the track listing or placement was so important because it told the story, especially bands like Pink Floyd or Supertramp were the, you know, the, the the pioneers of that kind of music, Genesis. The con- concept albums. Yeah. And the funny thing is when you, when you listen now on Spotify, you know what's coming. You just know what's coming if you've listened to the album in its entirety. You know, it's like, I used to listen to Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells, like, relentlessly. You know, and the funny thing is about music is how I remember two examples. One is the voice that goes, you know, like uh, electric guitar, that kind of narration voice right. on yeah, Tubular yeah. Bells. Tubular yeah. Bells. And then the other one was UFO. They had an album called Strangers in the Night, a live album. And right in the middle of one, uh, two songs, the, the singer, he says, uh, we just got a message. They're going to change the mic. And things <laughs> like that. You, I used yeah. to love that, you know. Yeah, you don't yeah, get yeah. that anymore. It's no. like. I listen to John Mayer a lot. Obviously, I love John Mayer. I think he's. Uh, one. I, I like the ni- the 1975. I like a lot. Yeah. Um, I like a yeah. guy called Colin Hare from uh, Men at Work. He's done a lot of solo stuff, which is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Uh, I would, in fact, I would recommend you checking him out if on on uh, YouTube. He, he's such an entertainer. You know. Uh, he, he's, he was saying, you know, uh, way back when I uh, was uh, famous and I had a record deal, he said. Uh, he said, uh, I got dropped by my record label. He says, now, the thing is, the difference between your girlfriend and your record label is she actually tells you when she's finishing with you. The record yeah. company don't. You read about it in a magazine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, obviously, the, in the time that you've been in the music industry from, from the 80s onwards, music yeah. industry has changed, you know, somewhat yeah. during that time. So, for somebody wanting to get into the music industry these days, what, what advice would you give them? Uh, I would say, one, you've got to be a master of social media promotion. There's no getting around it. You know, that's how the music gets out there. Two, video is important. You need images. Uh, I do a lot of lyric videos now because it's a, a cheap way of making a video, you know. A, li- a lyric video? Is that what, just with the lyrics on? Yeah. I mean, I've made a couple. Uh, I find people around the world that do this kind of thing online. And, you know, you can go in and, and on different sites and you you contact them and say, you know, I've got this song and blah, blah, blah. And then they have examples of the work and uh, they'll just make a video for you. It doesn't cost a lot of money. And the lyrics, lyrics come up in time to the the vocals. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, a lot of art, a lot of famous artists are doing it as, yeah. as well. So social media. Video. Social media, videos. Yeah. And then I think you've got to play live. You've got to be good at playing live. 
Yeah. Uh, depending on the kind of music you're doing. If you're doing like dance stuff, you know, DJ stuff, then it's, it's a different vibe. But, uh, you know, if you take somebody like John Mayer, he's amazing in the studio. He's amazing live. Great songwriter, great guitar player. In fact, pound for pound, I would say John Mayer is probably, you know, as a songwriter, guitar player, producer, he's just vocalist. He's he's, he's the best out there. You know, he's, he's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and his, his output is just incredible. Uh, and then I would say, I, I'd say also work hard. I mean, you've got, you've got a, you've got to have something of substance. You know, my dad used to say to me, oh, that, that Mark Boland, he can't sing for Toffee. Or Bob Dylan, good God. Because he, he didn't get, he didn't get it. He didn't get the art, you know. No, no. And nobody gets to where they're getting without having some kind of, of substance. Like look at Lady Gaga singing the, uh, the inauguration. I had goosebumps. I mean, it was like, yeah. that's just, because I know the feeling. You're walking down there, you're thinking about, you know, am I going to screw up, blah, blah, blah. Am I going to get a thing in my throat on some notes or whatever? She just nailed it, you know, and that's yeah. that's genius. That's yeah, she was very talent. good on that, wasn't she? Yeah. I still listen to my old favourites like Supertramp, Steely Dan. Al Stewart was a big influence, actually, uh, because the Ghost in My Heart girl, she gave me uh, the Year of the Cat album, which, uh, you know, talking about listening to the old album, when, when Year of the Cat starts, it starts in one speaker, and I used to have a mini and when I put the cassette in, I thought my speakers had blown because it was all in the left speaker. And then, of course, when it gets to the intro, it comes yeah. in. But, uh, yeah. So we've talked about your, your um, really interesting life in the music industry, Quint. Yeah. Um, you've got this new album that you, you work on. What other projects do you have coming up? Um, I did a project here last year. Uh, well, actually, it was the... the yeah, last year. Time goes so quick. It was, it was January last year. We, there's an American band called Pages, which are, um, they became Mr. Mr. basically, you know, the band Mr. Mr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, we did a tribute to their music, the Pages albums. So we, I was one of three lead vocalists. We were like a 14-man band. And we did yeah. two nights at this Stockholm's biggest jazz club. It was like sold out. It was, it was amazing, amazing players. And then uh, afterwards, the, the original bass player got in touch with me and asked me if I would sing lead on one of his uh, tracks on his, his new album, which he's doing with Vinnie Caliuta and uh, Al Jarreau's keyboard player. Yeah. So I did that about, I think it was July last year. And he's, he's in final mixing stages now, so that's going to come out, which is amazing to be on an album with those guys. And that's the pages? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I'll put uh, that on the show notes so that people can can have a look at that. Yeah, sure. And then the, the eight bites thing. We were supposed to do a tour now in in in, uh, in January. You asked me how I, I never got around to telling you, but how I how I came to be involved in in the eight bites band was uh, yeah. uh, Francis eventually asked me to open for him on his. Uh, he didn't actually ask me. Actually, a, a guy from Holland who knows Francis contacted me and said, "Congratulations on the tour." I said, "What tour?" He said, "You're opening for Francis on the next UK tour." This was like two years ago. I said, "Nah, he hasn't." hasn't uh, mentioned it. So I, I sent Francis a mail and said, hey, this guy says I'm opening on your tour. Is, is he pulling my leg? And he, Francis just replied, no, that was it. <laughs> Nothing else. And you didn't know about it? I didn't know about it. I had no idea. So I, I show up and uh, I opened on the, uh, it will be 2018 tour. I, yeah. I just actually opened the shows. Uh, he did like four gigs in England. And was uh, this was this you with a band or was it just no, so? Uh, he has this charity event in October every year for uh, in honour of his parents back in Egremont. And yeah. the first time I did that with my album, I did it with a band. Uh, yeah. I took a bass player and a drummer from Sweden and then Dory Jackson was singing. Uh, uh, Andrea and Benedetta from Italy were on backing vocals and Pete Jones from uh, Francis Band and Camel was on keyboards. So we did that yeah. and then Francis guested and played. Uh, but then I just opened on my own on the on the on the tour, and then eventually Francis said, uh, "I think I'm going to need you to play some like keyboards and trigger some stuff and and, and sing backing vocals." Uh, so then I was part of the band and uh, did the Once Around the World tour, which was yeah. amazing. You know, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, for one thing, just learning the songs. I mean, it's it's a songwriting lesson in itself. You know, the, to think that they wrote these songs when they were in the Twenties, you know, early twenties. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. incredible. Very, very good band. Yeah. So, um, any other projects? Uh, solo album, and then I'm I'm busy again with the jingles. I've been uh, yeah. doing a lot of TV commercials, and, uh, and is this mainly for for stuff in Sweden, or do you do anything? Yeah, I've done some stuff for uh, 
New York and uh, yeah. England, but uh, nothing at the moment. Uh, no. But but obviously with the COVID situation, it's been very quiet, uh, and that's where I'm lucky that I have a studio that I can work from home. Yeah, uh, because uh, the only time I have to go into town is when I'm actually recording voiceovers. Uh, so that's yeah. that's pretty good. But so my, when, when when we get out of this pandemic and life starts to return to some yeah. sort of normality, um, are you planning to do? Are you hoping to do some more tours? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I can't be coming to, to the UK. To oh, yeah. I was going to say, yeah. I have to come back to the UK just to eat. I mean, first and foremost, I need I need to find a pub with a plate meat pie and uh, a nice <laughs> pint. Uh, but uh, see, I, I started doing the house concerts too because of Francis, because of his fan base. Yeah. I got to do the the, the tours in uh, in England doing concerts with Dory. Uh, we went over to Germany and and did some stuff there as well. So I want to. I, I had lots of those booked as well. But uh, and then I've got a girl on my new album who's like an Australian pop star. She she was in a band called or still is uh, Boy Me uh, Bachelor Girl. Uh, she had a big hit with Buses and Trains. Uh, so she's been guesting in my my. Uh, Top forty band in town, and then she's going to be on one album, one album track. Uh, yeah, we wrote a song together. So you got stuff coming up. Um, let's let's hope we can get over this pandemic very quickly. Where um, where can people reach you? Where can people find some of your um, if they want history, to find, stuff, uh, yeah. if they want a, a good uh, look at my my solo stuff, uh, quintstarkey dot net. Yeah, it's my website. There's lots of interviews and uh, pictures from the tours and lots of stuff with Francis on there. Uh, Facebook. Just look for Quint Starkey. I've got two sites on there, actually, one for more artist thing and then a private thing. And then I'm on Instagram as well as Quint Starkey, just one word. Yeah, and if anybody wants to check out my commercial stuff, because uh, it is work, uh, musicformedia.se. Okay, that's great. Yeah. Well, it's been really good talking to you, Quint. Thank you ever so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much. I hope I haven't talked too much. I have a tendency to uh, waffle on, but uh, hopefully <laughs> you've got some good editing tools. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Thank you. You have been listening to Undercurrent Stories. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to share the show link to your friends and family. And if you have 60 seconds, I will be most grateful if you would please rate and review. To hear more episodes, please subscribe to the show and visit undercurrentstories.com. If you leave your email in the link, we will notify you as soon as new episodes are released. Also, check out our social media links, details of which can be found on the show notes. Until next time, this is Bob Wells wishing you all the very best. 